Welcome to the Bradenville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We're located at 285 Church Street in Bradenville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. with worship to follow at 11 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now, please enjoy our lesson. Last week we started 2020. And we began by saying that this is going to be a red letter year. And we talked about how, you know, when you look at the calendar and you see the numbers on there, and those red numbers mean that that's going to be an important day. Typically, that means it's a holiday or some type of special day. And 2020 is our red letter year. And it's a different focus, though. We're focused on the red letters of the Bible. We're focused on the words of Jesus. And the reason we're doing that is in some ways a little bit selfish, but I hope it's selfish to you as well. I want to know Jesus better. I want to know His mind and and what Jesus would say and what Jesus would think in a situation. I want to be able to love Him better. And I want to obey Him better. And the way we do that is by getting into His words and studying His words. Now that doesn't mean that His words uh, are going to take precedence over the rest of the Bible in our studies. But we're going to focus a lot on the red letters. Now, last week, we didn't even look hardly at a red letter at all because we started with the identity and the authority of Jesus. And so we began in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And matter of fact, that was a question on Jeopardy this last week, wasn't it? Because the whole world needs to know that Jesus has authority. He was the Creator and he's the orator of God. He's the, or, he's the speaker for the Godhead. And so when Jesus speaks, people listen, or they should. But today we're going we're gonna to continue our red letter series by looking at the first words that we have recorded that Jesus uttered. Now we need to understand these are not the first words that Jesus ever spoke. But in relation to the, the recording of the gospel, these are the first words that we ever have the red letters for. And Colton read them for us. And the first words we see Jesus speaking of is a question. Why did you seek me? That's what we're going to focus on today. But to, to get into that lesson, we need to get a little bit of a context. Because you notice the scripture reading was pretty short. And there were no names mentioned in there. So if you didn't see the red letters, you might not know who was even speaking here. As I was picking out the scripture reading, I kept going back looking for some names. And you've got to go back to the beginning of the story before you see Joseph and Mary and Jesus even mentioned. The rest of the time they just referred to as he and she and them. But the context of the story is this. Jesus has reached 12 years of age. And in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish society, that's when he is beginning now to start to learn uh, uh, in more detail the things of the law. And it's the Passover time. And so in our calendar, if you were thinking about when this would take place, it's going to happen somewhere uh, around the full moon that would happen in the March to beginning of April time period. That's when the Passover would occur in the Jewish calendar. And they're going to go to Jerusalem because the law had told them this was one of the three feasts in which all the men of the Israel were to gather together at the house of God, which was the tabernacle and now is the temple, and they're going to partake of the Passover. The Passover involved a meal. And it was a meal that, that was instituted or given to the Jews way back in Exodus. Exodus chapter 12, the children of Israel haven't even come out of Egypt yet. They're still in bondage to the Egyptians. And God has been sending plagues upon the Egyptians. And if we had time, we'd go through and list them all because I think we could do it. But the last one is the death of the firstborn. 
Now, to protect the Israelites, to keep them from being subject to this, to this plague, God gave them a remedy. He said, I want you to take a male lamb on the 10th day of the month. He said, this is the beginning of your months. And so if you look at the Jewish calendar, it's going to go all the way back to this passage. This is the beginning of your months. On the 10th day of this month, I want you to take a male lamb of the first year. You can't have any blemishes. You're not going to get the nasty one. You're going to get the blind one or the one that's missing a leg. You're going to take a good, a good male lamb and you're going to set him aside from his mom on the 10th of the month. Then on the 14th of the month at twilight, you're going to kill that lamb. A lamb per household. And you're going to eat that lamb. You're going to roast it over fire. You're going to eat it with bitter herbs. You're going to eat it with your clothing on and your belt on and your sandals on your feet. You're going to eat it in haste. That was the meal. But here's the reason. He said, you're going to take the blood of the lamb and you're going to put it on the doorposts and on the lintel of the door. And you remember, we used to sing that song. I don't know if it's even in our song books anymore. When I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. That was the Passover. When the angel of the Lord came through the land killing the firstborn, if he saw the blood, he passed by that house and it spared the firstborn. Now fast forward in time. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem for the first time as a part of as a young boy to, to partake of the Passover, the Passover, excuse me, and he sees the lambs. Do you ever think about this? At what point did Jesus realize that's about me? Second Corinthians chapter five, verse seventeen, Paul tells us that Christ is our Passover, that he is the Lamb that's represented by this Passover feast. He is our blood on the doorpost and lentils. When we stand before God in the judgment, it's going to be the blood of Jesus that is going to justify us. It's going to protect us from the destroying angel, from hell itself. At what point in time did, did that click with Jesus? The Bible doesn't tell us. I like to think it was when he came here at 12 years old that he realized this whole thing's about me. Now, this is not being arrogant. And it's not being prideful, but it's a realization. That's why I came to the earth. I think you'll see this because when we get in the study, he's going he's to talk about some things that are going to relate to this. But the Passover's over now, and it's time to go home. You remember, they, they live in Nazareth. And so they, they all get together, and they take off as a group, and they're traveling back home. And they get about a day's journey in, and uh, Joseph and Mary start looking around for Jesus. I don't, I don't know how you get to this point. You know, I, I've never traveled in a big enough group that I've never known where my kids were. But at some point in time, they, they realize Jesus isn't with us. And so they start looking. They start looking at their friends and family and acquaintances, and they start looking for, for the young man. They don't find him. Uh-oh, now your heart rate kicks up, right? We, you ever been there before? We lost Jacob at Lowe's one time. And, and by the time we were done, we'd scoured about every row in this one section that we were in. And he'd climb back in behind something was hiding. He thought it was funny. We didn't think it was that funny. You'll see that in the story as well. But uh, they turn around. They start back towards Jerusalem. And it says that after three days of looking for him, they finally find him in the temple. And look what he's doing here. Luke chapter 2. If you, got your, if you don't have your Bibles open, open up Luke 2, and you can pretty much stay there because this is where our, our, our study is going to come from. Verse 46. Now, so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. You know what Jesus wasn't? 
He wasn't in the alley playing stickball with the boys. Now he could have been, right? And that's that would that would have been great fun for me. If you go on, if you've ever traveled with family before, that's one of the great things is you got your cousins all together there and you go off and play. Jesus might have done some of that when the rest of the people were there, but now he's in the temple, which is at this time the house of God. And he's got the lawyers there. He's got the teachers there. He's got the people who are knowledgeable, knowledgeable about the law. And he's taking advantage of this because he's asking them questions. But he's not just asking questions here. He's also giving them answers. And one of the things that the people were astonished by were the answers he was giving. Now, some people might attribute this to him being the Son of God, to being God in the flesh, and that would be a part of it. There's also some contribution here, though, from Joseph and Mary. Remember, God chose Mary specifically to be the mother of God. Why did he do that? Because she knew how to cook? Because she's pretty good at sewing? Or was he able to look at her heart and say, this is, the, this is of all the women who have ever lived on the earth, I want this one to raise my son. That's amazing to me. And so she has a part to play in teaching little Jesus about right and wrong. What about Joseph? I think Joseph has a part to play in this anyway. They've been training Jesus here, but he, he is coming to knowledge of his own because he's going, to, uh, he's going to blow their minds in just a little bit. They find him there, and they're upset, right? Listen to what they say to him. Son... Why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. I know how they feel. I know how they would feel. We could probably all imagine the, the, the consternation and the fear and you know, just the panic that would set in if you can't find your son. And they find him there in the temple and they ask him the question, Why have you done this to us? And this is where we're going to pick up with the answer of Jesus. And, and from this point, I want us to see that the answer Jesus gives has, has a, a, it makes a statement about His purpose, why He is here. This is a 12-year-old boy. This isn't 33-year-old Jesus. This is a 12-year-old boy, but He's beginning to understand His purpose. And from that, what I want to learn is, what's my purpose? Is the answer that Jesus gives, does the answer that Jesus gives have any role to play in me being here today? That's important for us to think about. First thing he says to him is, he says, why did you seek me? I think that's interesting. Now, some people might read that and, sound, and make it sound like he's, he's back-talking his mom and dad. And that's, that's not what he's saying here, though. If you look at that phrase, he's saying, why did you look other places for me? Now, think about this. When they left Jerusalem, where was Jesus? He was in Jerusalem, right? Jesus didn't leave them. They left him. And they traveled a day's journey before they even realized he was gone. When they realized he was gone, when it finally came to their, to their understanding that he wasn't with them, first they went and they talked to their friends and acquaintances. And then finally they came back to Jerusalem where he was, but you notice it still took some time for them to find him. And it's almost as Jesus is saying, why didn't you come here first? Does that ever happen to us? Does that ever happen to, to people? Or maybe even to you and I? 
How, how, have you ever experienced this in your life? You're traveling down the road of life and you just don't know that you left Jesus behind? It happens pretty easy sometimes. Sometimes it can be, you know, we, we get to watching television shows that aren't probably what Jesus would watch. If we had Jesus in our home and we're sitting there with him watching television, we might not want to watch that show. Right? That happens sometimes. Or maybe we listen to, to radio and songs. Or maybe sometimes we go places that Jesus wouldn't go with us. Or maybe our minds go places that we wouldn't want to take Jesus with. There's times in our lives when we can leave Jesus behind. And what's really sad is, sometimes we can leave Jesus behind and not even know He's gone. I think I've told you this before. One of, my sad, one of the saddest passages in the Bible to me is in the story of Samson. Samson was a man who God had given great strength to. Now, he wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. But God used him to, to arouse or to, 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 to stir up the Israelite against the Philistines because he's going to bring great delivery. It's going to happen through Saul and ultimately through David. But Samson is a man who chases after trashy women. And he falls in love with a woman named Delilah. And you remember the story how she, she tries to learn the secret of his strength. And, and finally he tells her, it's in my hair. If you shave my head off... Um, I'll lose my strength. And so she lulls him to sleep on her lap and she calls in the Philistines and they bind him up and they shave his head. And, and if you don't have this verse underlined in your Bible, I would encourage you to go over there. I can't quote it to you exactly where it is, but it's in the story of Samson. It says there, And he rose up as in times past to shake himself free and he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. That breaks my heart. We can walk away from God and not know He's gone. We've got to be careful about that. So when we find out that God's gone, what happens sometimes? Well, we might go looking for Him with our friends and neighbors and family and acquaintances, or we might even go looking for Him in the world, right? How many people have tried to find Jesus at the bottom of a bottle or at the end of a needle? Or in a, and you can you can list the the all the different ways in which people try to fill the hole of Jesus in their lives, but they're not going to find him there. People have written songs about this, but the truth is still Jesus isn't in those places. Sometimes they go to family and friends trying to find Jesus, and so they seek family advice. And I'm not saying that family advice is always wrong, but family advice could be wrong, right? Family can, can tell you things that might just soothe your soul, but they're not going to help save it and restore it. And ultimately, we can go looking in places where Jesus isn't. But one of the things that we know where, is that Jesus is where, his, where God's house is. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Just kind of put your bookmark or hold your finger there in Luke chapter 4, and we're going to turn over to Ephesians chapter 1 where this principle of finding Jesus in the right place is, is given to us on a spiritual level here. Ephesians chapter 1, and, and you could really, uh, we don't have time to read this all, but you could start in Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
Side note, if you have an underlined in Christ or in Him through Ephesians chapter 1, at some point in time, go back through and do that exercise and see all the things that are in Christ. But in particular here, he says, all spiritual blessings are in Christ. Now jump down to verse 13. In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So first off, he's talking to people who are Christians, and he said, you trusted in Him after you heard the word of the gospel. You trusted in Jesus. You came to Jesus. You didn't go looking for Him in the world. You didn't go looking for Him among family. You came to Him, to where He is, and you obtained salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantor of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. And so he said, when you believed in Him, you've obeyed the gospel here, He's given you the Holy Spirit as a seal. You know where that happens? That's where Jesus is. You want to know where Jesus is? That final answer though, skip down to the end of the chapter. Look at verse 22. And He, that's God the Father, put all things under Him, that's God the Son, under His feet, and gave Jesus Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. You want to go find Jesus today, you've got to go to where He is. He's in the church. He's in the body and His body. We've got to help people understand that if they're looking for Jesus, they need to come to His body. Now what does that say to us? That means that we've got to do what Jesus says next. You remember He says, Why did you seek Me? Did you not know that I must what? Be about My Father's business. Church, are we about the Father's business today? If people want to find Jesus, and we see that Jesus is found in the church, that's you and me. That's not this building. We're not telling people to come to this block building in Bradleyville, Missouri to find Jesus. He's gonna, they're going to find uh, Jesus in us. Now let's, let's, break this, let's break this down. This is a 12-year-old boy, first off. Let's remember this. But I want you to notice how profound this statement is. We've got some smart young people in here. We've got some folks that are a little younger than 12. We've got some folks that are just right a little above 12, and we've got some folks that are even older than that. But I can tell you, we've got some smart kids in here, but this is profound for a 12-year-old. Notice what it does. Notice what this identifies. First off, it says that Jesus at 12 years old knows who his father is. Now, this is not disrespectful to Joseph, but Joseph is not Jesus' daddy. He's his legal father. He's the one that's responsible for raising him and making sure that he's provided for. And from that, we're very thankful to Joseph. But from a pure spiritual standpoint, Jesus is acknowledging, my father is the God of heaven and earth. Jews, you know him as Jehovah Elohim, Lord God. That's who my father is. Think about how those Jewish leaders would have taken that if they would fully comprehend what Jesus was saying here. They were amazed at Jesus, but they didn't take Him out and stone Him. But that's how powerful this statement is. My God is the, is, is the God of heaven and earth. Notice what else it says. Because my God is the God, my Father is the God of heaven and earth, that means I am the Son of God. Jesus knew that at 12 years old. Now that's why I would jump back in time and say, do you think Jesus realized when He came to the Passover meal that that lamb represented Him? 
I don't know to what level his, his mind was able to fully comprehend that. But at some point in time, it's going to come to, come to him. But at this point in time, he understands, I am the Son of God. Wow. He is God in the flesh. We noticed that last week in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's what Jesus is. He is the Word of God come in flesh. Notice the third thing that this statement identifies. It says that God has a business. You ever thought about that? What does it mean to have a business? We bought a gift shop here a couple years ago. And I don't know when we first bought it. We fully comprehended all it took to own a business. <laughs> but there's a lot of work associated with it. Right? And one of the major things that, that, that comes with owning a business is that business must exist for a purpose. If you don't have a purpose as a business, you don't, you don't exist, right? There's no reason for a business. It's not going to stay in existence. God has a business. And really what that means is God has a purpose. What is God's purpose? What is God's purpose or business that He would be about? Well, we're going to see in just a second. But the fourth thing that Jesus says in this statement is, I understand what that purpose is, and I am to be about it. Jesus understood that he had a role to play in the business of the Father. I can't, I can't overemphasize this. Twelve-year-old boy, and he knows he has a job. He came to this earth to do a job. But it's more than just a job. If you say it that way, that sounds like, well, I just came down through, I went through the motions, right? I checked the boxes, did the job, let's go home. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He has, a, he has a clear vision of what his role is in fulfilling the, as Paul would say in Ephesians, the eternal wisdom of God. So what is that? First off, we see here, Jesus coming in the flesh is God reaching down to mankind to extend his grace to mankind. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, that means He is God, right? He has all the divine nature of God. Being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. It wasn't wrong for the Word to be considered equal with the other persons of the Godhead because He had the same nature as them. But He humbled Himself. He came in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled Himself. Why did He do that? Anybody look in the mirror this morning? Anybody see anything, anybody in there you didn't recognize? Next time you look in the mirror, remind yourself, Philippians chapter 2, Jesus humbled himself because of me. He came down here and learned obedience for me. He humbled himself to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. What we see in Jesus is God reaching down to mankind to do something for man that man couldn't do for himself. Man can't reach into heaven. We can't grasp hold of God and pull ourselves up by, our, by God's bootstraps. God had to reach down to us. And that's the first thing we see Jesus. In the business of God, Jesus is reaching down to mankind. What's he doing when he reaches down to mankind? When he comes down to the earth, he's going to... Teach the Father's will. 
You ever think about what these lawyers and teachers were talking about with Jesus and what Jesus was saying that was so amazing to them? Jesus gives us some insight to that, insight into that in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. You remember in chapter 5, he said, You've heard it said of old, you shall not murder. But I say to you, you think Jesus was saying something a little bit like that? You know, take this, take this passage in Isaiah. This is what it says. Do you know what that means, Rabbi? Let me see if I can help you. Isaiah 53, the suffering Savior. You remember what the Ethiopian eunuch was struggling with. Is this man writing, is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? Jesus says, that Messiah is coming. We don't know all that Jesus talked about with these leaders, but he was helping teach them the Father's will. And he did that throughout the rest of his ministry. He helped people understand what God's will was for them. You remember a time whenever the Jews were struggling with Jesus' identity and, and, and struggling with his teachings. And he says, go and understand this saying, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus didn't make that up right then. Now, he spoke it through the old prophets, but that was a prophetic, that was a, a statement from the old law. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He says, go and understand that. See if you can sort that out. That's what Jesus did. He helped people understand the will of God, not just the Word of God, not just the things that God put down on the stone and tablets and, and cowhide, but the spirit of them. What do they mean? You remember one point in time Jesus said, My words are spirit and they are life. That's because He was speaking the Father's will there. We saw that Jesus came to glorify the Father. In that prayer that He offers in John chapter 17, he asked God to glorify him as he has glorified the Father. Jesus was going to go to the cross, and that, that suffering that he was going to go through was going to bring glory to the Father. And most importantly, he came to seek and save the lost. You remember when he's sitting in the house of, of Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus has made this great penitent act. He's, he's, he's spoken these words that are going to show his penitence, and God, Jesus says, uh, This is the reason why I came. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the business of the Father, and Jesus is going to be about that. So in the time we got left, I just, I just want to think real quickly. Is this a business that we should be about? Do we have any part to play in the business of God? And the first thing I want to remind us of is, as Christians, I'm speaking to the Christians here right now, do you remember that you're a child of God? Do you remember what the Scripture says that happened to you when you obeyed the Gospel, that you were adopted into the family of God and you became a son of God. What does that mean? That means that God is your Father as well as Jesus. So when Jesus makes that statement, did you not know that I should be about the Father's business? That's what we need to say as well. <clears throat> Don't we know that we need to be about the Father's business? Look at this, Romans chapter 8. I've got some passages down here that I've kind of saved towards the end. We haven't had a whole lot of, of reading of Scripture, but I do want to read these to remind ourselves, <clears throat> first off, that we are sons of God by adoption. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. He's talking about here in our obedience to the gospel. 
you remember back to the promise that Peter made on the day of Pentecost when those people were cut to the heart and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? He said, Repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. These Romans had received the Holy Spirit and now they're being led by the Spirit. They're being led by the Word here. And it says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We have the... God has given us the privilege of calling Him Father through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we might also be glorified together. We are children of God. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. I like that. That means there's something better waiting for me on the other side. There's an inheritance that's better than this old earth. And I don't mean that disrespectful to God. God created it and God gave us a place. But this is a dying earth. God's given us a place, an inheritance that's undefiled, that never fades away. Now, let's look real quickly at Ephesians chapter 1. We were there just a little while ago. And we talked about the blessings that God has given us in Christ Jesus. And I want to finish that thought there when he says... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. God chose a group of people who would be His sons and this would be a group of people that would be in Jesus Christ. Are you in Jesus? Yeah. Well, I'm a son of God. And God purposed that from the beginning. Now, as children then, what's our responsibility to the Father and His business? We've got to obey it, right? We've got to do it. And so Jesus, before He ascended up in heaven, Matthew chapter 28, He told His apostles there, He says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and Lord with you always, even to the end of the age. He said that to the apostles. By extension, He said that to you and me. To be about the Father's business, to be about the reaching down business, to be about the teaching business, to be about the glorifying the Father business, to be about the seeking and saving of the lost. That's my business. And so when, when we're sitting in that class on Sunday mornings and we're, and we're talking about personal evangelism, the reason we're doing that is because that's the Father's business and He wants us to be about it. And it cuts me whenever I think about the, the lack of business that I've been about with God from time to time. But that's our role. That's what we're supposed to do. But I want to finish up with 2 Corinthians because this, this gives us a... Um, gives us a perspective on this business that I think is important. Because sometimes we can, as I said before, sometimes we can just go through the motions of business, right? We can just check the check boxes. Yeah, I did, I did the things I was supposed to. No, I didn't do the things I wasn't supposed to do, but your heart's not in it. <clears throat> but I think 2 Corinthians helps us put some heart 
in our in ourselves about the business of God. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 18. Now all things are God's who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. That's that's me and you, right? The Christians, we've been reconciled to God. We've been made right with God, adopted, become a part of his family. And because of that, he has given us the ministry, the service of reconciliation. And so the business that we are to be about is a service. We are to minister reconciliation. What does that mean? Well, he, he doesn't leave us guessing. He goes on to say this, verse 19. He says, That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. God's business, seeking and saving the lost, not imputing their trespasses to them, saving them from their sins, that's the ministry that we've been given. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You want to find Jesus? You come to where Jesus is. That's the ministry that we've been given, to help people see Jesus, help them want to come to Jesus. A good, a good measure, I, I'll say this, and you could probably think of a better measure, but I'll give you a good one. I think a good measure of how effective we are at the Father's business is how good we are at ministries of reconciliation, helping people understand that there's a need to be reconciled to God and then showing them the love of God that compels them to want to be a part of it. We can drive people to Jesus. But you remember, that's not how Jesus attracted people. Jesus said, you know, and if I, and I, if I be lifted up, will drive all men to me. That's, that's not what he said. He said, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men to me. He's going to draw mankind to him. And that's what we're to be about, the ministry of reconciliation. And so it is our business. And I want to encourage us to be about the business of the Father in 2020, in 2021, and on into the future. It's going to take courage on our part. It's going to take study on our part. It's going to take, most of all, it's going to take loving our fellow man. Because that's why Jesus came to the earth. He loved us enough to come and die for us. Are we willing to give ourselves up for our fellow man? Because we are children of God, then we have great blessings, but Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3 how we become, in particular, children of God. Notice what he says in Galatians chapter 3. This is what we're going to end up on here. He says in Galatians 3, at the end of the chapter, verse 26, For you, all, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Have you been baptized into Christ? You know, when you, when you do that, that, if you study that phrase throughout the New Testament, you're going to see hundreds of passages that speak about the blessings of being in Christ. But you're only going to find a handful that speak about how we get into Christ. You want to have the blessings of, of warmth in this church building? Couldn't have been a better time.
you got to come through the door, right? you got to open the door and come in. There's no blessings of warmth and of hospitality and friendship and worship and all the blessings that are happening in this building aren't going on out there right now. And the only way that you can be a partaker of those is to come through the door. You want to be in Christ? You've got to come into Christ. And Paul tells us we do that through baptism. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We understand that He died on the cross for our sins. And we're willing to turn away from those sins, repent of those sins. We're willing to confess the name of Jesus. And then we're baptized into Christ. We take that old man of sin. We bury him in the water. We rise a new creature. There's nothing in the water. It's all in the work of God. Have you done that? If you haven't, I want to encourage you today. There's no better day than today to start being about the Father's business. That's exciting business to be in, right? This is a growing industry. And we've got an opportunity to be a part of it. And you can get in on, I started to say on the ground floor. It's been going on for about 2,000 years. Actually, it's been going on before that. But you can be a part of it, a part of God's work. And it starts with obedience to the gospel. Or maybe you as a Christian have, have let sin creep in and separate you from the business of God. You want to come back and be a part of the church again. You want to find Jesus again. We can come back. John tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, which means He's going to do the right thing. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you like to have that today? That's what we're going to do in just a minute. We're going to sing an invitation song. And if you haven't, obeyed the gospel or you'd like to be restored to the body of Christ, we want to help you with that. If you have another need, if you have a prayer request or something that you'd like to make known to the church, it's an opportunity to do that now. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, come talk to me after. But don't leave here today without a need that you have being met. This is exciting business. I want to encourage you to be a part of it. We're going to sing this invitation song. If you have a need, please come. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.